Amen. Uh, Maddie's already said, my name's Jonathan, one of the pastors here. We decided to give Drew a week off. Uh, he's been at it for uh, quite a while. Uh, I, I, I've heard that a number of people are sick uh, today. Uh, and the only thing I would say is that that's what happens when you spend too much time with family. Uh, you get You get sick. So... Uh, that's what happens at Christmas. With all the family gatherings, people end up being sick. Uh, but we're in a fifth week of a series, uh, and we're looking at, or we've been looking at, the results of Jesus coming to earth. Throughout Advent, we've seen, uh, and these really correspond to our candles, four out of five of which are lit right now, so we're doing better than we were Christmas Eve, uh, but our Christ candle doesn't want to stay lit. Uh, but what we've been looking at is Jesus having come to bring us hope, peace, love, joy. Uh, he is our Savior. He is our King. He is our righteousness. He is our healer. And today, as you'll notice, uh, we're going to talk about how He is our way. Uh, in the worship folder that you got, there's an insert. On one side are two scripture passages. On the other is an outline. Uh, you can follow along with this, or you can use the screen behind me. So we're going to read first uh, Isaiah 40, and then from Matthew chapter 3. Isaiah 40, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And then from Matthew chapter 3, we've been in a series on Matthew, and we're going to continue today into chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones 
to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the foot, excuse me, at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Uh, This is God's word. A Merry Christmas with that. Uh, I have to say that uh, some of you know I'm, I'm known to, you know, be sarcastic, make jokes, and on occasion be funny. Um, but today, uh, I really do have to be serious the whole time. Uh, because of this passage, it kind of demands it. it it's, it's uh, well, it's hard, some of the things that John has to say. And as I mentioned earlier, we've begun a series on the Gospel of Matthew. We've been looking in the last five, uh, four weeks, five weeks, uh, at Advent really exposed through the first two chapters of Matthew. But keep in mind, Advent's over, right? Now Christmas has come. Uh, for the world calendar, Christmas starts, well, uh, uh, usually about November the 1st. As soon as the Halloween junk goes away, the Christmas decor comes out. And everybody celebrates Christmas from about that time through, well, New Year's really. But for the church... We have five weeks, uh, where we, or four weeks rather, where we are longing for the Savior to come. And now He's arrived, uh, and, and, and that makes a big difference in the way that we talk and in the way that we celebrate as the church. Now, as we've come to Matthew 3, uh, we've seen, or we, 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 we're introduced to this guy named John the Baptist. Now, it's not the founder of the Baptist denomination. Uh, some of you might be, you know, misled there. So as a good Presbyterian, I like to call him John the Baptizer so that we don't allow the Baptists to claim him. Now, to this point in the story, remember, it's a story. Matthew has been focusing on events that surround the birth of Jesus. Chapter 3 opens, Matthew chapter 3, that is, opens with the first preaching from a man of God in over 400 years The nation of Israel had not heard from God in over 400 years. So you can imagine the level of anticipation that they must have been feeling. The last words from God or the last words from a prophet of God they had heard were in Malachi. Malachi chapter uh, 4. The very end of the Old Testament says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, we know John fulfills these words because when the angel comes to announce his birth to his mother Elizabeth, she quotes this verse. She talks about John as a prophet of God fulfilling these words. So you really have got to understand some of the background of John and the background of Israel's anticipation. Their expectation as he arrives on the scene. Realize they had big hopes for the restoration that the prophets 400, 500, 600 years prior had been describing. 
and being occupied by the Roman Empire and being enslaved and being, being a subjugated people created all kinds of expectation, created all kinds of longing for the nation of Israel. And so for the prophets, when they talked about the day of the Lord, it meant two things. It meant a new Jerusalem where the king would rule over in righteousness and justice. He would serve the people. But it also meant an gathering of the nations of the whole earth who had obeyed the call of God to come and worship and serve him. Now, Matthew says John is fulfilling the words of Isaiah 40, verse 3. Uh, on your worship folder insert at the top, the top half of the page is Isaiah 40. Isaiah's talking about one who would come to prepare the way of the Lord. And so clearly Matthew is equating Jesus with God himself. He says, John has come to prepare the way for the Lord, to make a straight path in the desert, to prepare the way for a new age to dawn, a new kingdom to begin. And here's the thing. John had to precede the coming of the Messiah because a time of winnowing, a time of harvest, a time of separation and purifying had to come before the restoration. John's preaching means one thing. God himself is finally going to visit his people for the great day that the prophets have promised. And so he's coming on the scene and he's saying this, and you haven't heard from God in 400 years. Imagine what the people are thinking. They're very excited because here is God's prophet. Now, remember, go back. uh, It's Luke records it for us. Matthew doesn't. But remember what happens when Elizabeth and Mary meet while they're pregnant? Before the shepherds and the angels rejoiced at the coming of Jesus, what happened? As soon as Elizabeth entered the door of Mary's house and she spoke, excuse me, Mary rather, Mary entered the door of Elizabeth's house and Mary uh, spoke. What happened to John who's in Elizabeth's womb? He leaps for joy, Luke says. He leaps, he leaps for joy as a, you know, that small or however big he was. But before before Jesus had even come out of the womb, John knew that this was the Messiah. This was the servant of the Lord sent by God. The person that Israel had been longing for to come and make all things new to establish the kingdom. And so he rejoiced. He leapt for joy, which is... I mean, really amazing, again, incomprehensible really to us. And the point of John's ministry was not baptism. It was an announcement of repentance and judgment because he was the forerunner. He was preparing the way. He was paving the road, so to speak, before the king himself would come. And so I just want to set all that up and come to uh, the, the outline you have, there's three things that I want to talk about. First, John's message. Uh, what was it? John's warning. And then John's promise. Okay, so those three things. And there are some questions there uh, to help us kind of flesh out some of these things. So first, uh, the message of John. What was the substance of John's message? Well, Matthew says, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What did he come preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, there's two elements really here to look at. First is repentance, and then secondly is the kingdom. So first, repentance. 
Now, what does it mean to repent? You ask most people they, to change your mind, to turn around. Okay, yes and, and no, but it, it doesn't really get at the core of what John is talking about. This Greek word, this Greek verb rather, is really informed by some Hebrew words that have come before it. And really what he's saying is, really what repentance is getting at, is a radical transformation of the entire person. It is a fundamental turnaround that involves mind and action. Now the call to repent assumes that the listener has something to repent of, right? His message is making a claim on our lives. It is saying your way of life is fundamentally off course and it needs a radical shift. It needs a radical change. So we aren't really talking about something that's popular. This is not a message that you're going to go out and strike a book deal on. Well, what's your book about? Well, it's about repent. Uh, Okay. Maybe something a little more positive. Nope, that's it. Repent. Because God's kingdom has arrived. It's not going to get you a multi-million dollar television ministry either. You're not going to have 40,562 people coming to your church or your arena, as the case may be. This call to repentance is an admittance that my life is in shambles and I need help. That's what John is saying to us. There is a different way of life God is calling us to, and it starts with repentance. Now, I want to be clear. Again, just some of the hard things that this passage challenges us with that we, we, you really you got to face when you look at these words of John. Uh, and I, I asked in the introduction here, uh, w- would you have gone out to be baptized by him? I mean, quite honestly, if you can imagine the picture, this guy was a bona fide freak. On top of the fact that he was not preaching a message of popularity. You know, it wasn't come to Jesus and everything will be hunky-dory. The first word out of his mouth. And, by the way, the first word out of Jesus' mouth when he comes on the scene recorded by the Gospels is one word, repent. So I want to be clear. The call of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the call of allegiance, the call of discipleship is not tweak your life. It's not shift your priorities around so that you can fit him in. It's not add Jesus to an already ridiculously busy schedule so that you can have some good, positive influences in your life. The call of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to repent. And if you repent, you will get a new life. You will get a new heart. Your citizenship will change. Your family membership will change. The Bible says you go from being a citizen of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You go from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. And so it begs the question for you and for me is have you experienced that kind of shift in your life? Are you experiencing a radical transformation of your entire person even now, even today, even over the past week? Now, John says repent, but why should we repent? Well, simply because the kingdom of heaven is here. Now, what the Bible means by the word kingdom is this. It's not a a geographic location. It's not a rule. Or excuse me, it's not a realm. It's It's a rule. 
The kingdom is something that is happening rather than something that exists. It's dynamic. It's not static. And so John is saying repent because the kingdom of God is here. It's on the move. God's rule is present. And that is going to change a lot of things. The ground for our repentance must be the kingdom's arrival. One uh, New Testament scholar says this. Throughout the Old Testament, there was a rising expectation of divine visitation that would establish justice, crush opposition, and renew the very universe. I mean, is that good news to you? That's amazing. This hope, he says, was couched in many categories. It was represented as a fulfillment of promises to David's heir. It was represented as a day of the Lord, as a new heaven and a new earth, and as the inauguration of a new and transforming covenant. Whatever way you want to describe it, John doesn't mince words. God is coming to visit his people. His rule as has arrived. And in light of that, there's only one right response. Repentance. That's it. So what areas of our lives, what areas of your life have you not submitted to the reality of God's rule? Do you believe in the reality of God's rule? I'm here to tell you, uh, you need to. Because it says it right here. Where are you afraid to repent? Where has change been the most difficult to pursue? Again, we're in the last Sunday of the year. Think back over the last 12 months. And I'm going to encourage you to do something in just a few minutes. So John's message is very clear. Repent because the kingdom has arrived. But secondly, John has a warning for us as well. Here, John is preaching, calling Israel to repent because the king is coming. Everyone's coming out to him. Remember, there's, there's lots of anticipation. There's great excitement because here's a prophet of God. He's coming. He's preaching. The kingdom is here. He, he's, he's preparing the way. The Messiah is coming. This is great. Let's go out and be baptized by him. But, but here's my favorite part of this passage. Now, it's primarily, if you don't know me, I'm very sarcastic. Okay, so my my favorite part is when John gets sarcastic. Okay, of course, I'm going to love that. But also because I like to see other people get mowed down and exposed for being hypocrites. Don't you? I love it. Love it. Tiger Woods. Ooh, what a scumbag. I knew he was. I knew he was messing around for the last 10 years. I love to watch other people just dive and fall. It's great. Why? Well, because I don't really think there's that much wrong with me. Honestly. I'm not a hypocrite, of course. So I love reading John here when the religious leaders come to check John out. Now, how does he greet them? Well, only in the way that a prophet of his caliber could, you brood of vipers. I love it. There are some evangelical leaders in our country that I'd love to say, have those four words ever come out of your mouth? Or would they ever come out of your mouth? Now, these guys were the most respected religious professionals of their day. So the equivalent would kind of be, now bear with me here, imagine going to meet the Pope and the College of Cardinals. You know, you walk in and it's the Vatican and it's beautiful 
Anybody been to the Vatican? It's amazing. St. Peter's. And here's the Pope in the College of Cardinals. He's used to being called what? Your Holiness. And he walks in because he wants to see what you're about. And you say, or you walk into his place and you say, you brood of vipers. Or the, the, a better way, at least for me, it would be like going to a faculty meeting at my seminary, uh, RTS in Orlando, and, and greeting the professors with, you brood of I mean, these guys are used to, the Pharisees and Sadducees are used to being greeted with respect, with honor, with dignity, because they were the religious professionals. They were looked up to. And so here they come, and John says, you brood of vipers. He says to them, what makes you think you can escape the coming wrath when there's no sign of repentance in your life? There was no real repentance There was only a desire to escape divine punishment. There was only, just like everything else the Pharisees did, they wanted to go out and be seen by everybody else doing the right thing, doing the proper expected thing, to be religious. And John exposes them and gets in their chili, as we say. Well, as I say. So what's the problem? The problem for them was, where was their hope? I referred to this just a second ago. How were they hoping to escape or not have to experience divine wrath? For the Pharisees and Sadducees, and we have to admit, for many of us, our reliance, their reliance, was in their performance, their rule-keeping, their record of obedience. For them, it was their ancestry. That's why John mocks them by saying, you think think being a child of Abraham is going to get you in? God can take these stones right here in the River Jordan and plop up children of Abraham from them. It doesn't matter your ancestry. What matters is repentance. Because the Pharisees had cheapened the prophetic call to return to God's covenant pursuing righteousness and justice. Now, here's a question for us. How do you and I do the same thing? How do we cheapen the gospel of grace by clinging to what what I call fire insurance? It might be coming here weekly. It might be your family's tradition of reading the Bible. It might be you reading the Bible. It might be teaching kids worship. No matter what it is, how do we cheapen the gospel of grace by clinging to something we hope is going to allow us to escape, but we never repent? We never change. We never pursue holiness. John's challenging us. But the truly frightening part of this passage is verse 8. The coming of God's reign demands repentance or judgment will result. It's very clear. John's very clear. But the repentance that John calls us to must be genuine. Listen. Listen. Our entire lifestyle must change and be in harmony with our oral profession of faith. So we can talk about repentance all we want, but John's warning to us is, unless our lives show forth fruit, evidence of repentance, then it is presumptuous and worthless to talk about it. The kingdom's coming means that a call to repent is offered, but it also means, as John says in verse 10, that the axe is being laid at the root of the tree. He was, he was mixing a call to repent 
with a promise that judgment would be coming. Judgment would be following. So, if we are preaching the kingdom of God, then we must be preaching repentance as well. Because a gospel with no repentance isn't a gospel at all. What makes good news good is that there's bad news to compare it to. And so if repentance isn't part of our gospel, then we've done nothing wrong. We haven't offended God and nothing needs to change. And that's really scary. Because a lot of times we find ourselves just sort of clinging on to Jesus for fire insurance. Just putting Him in our back pocket, hoping everything goes okay, calling on Him when things get bad, but never repenting, never changing. And the challenge that John's warning presents is this. Where is your lifestyle not in harmony with your profession? In what areas of your life are you not producing fruit in keeping with repentance? And my challenge to, to, to me, to you, is in the coming days, rather than make New Year's resolutions, okay, review the last year to see where you have failed to repent thoughtfully. Identify areas of your life where maybe January 1st of 2009, you wanted this to change in your life. But here we are, December 31st of 2009, it hadn't changed. Resolve not to, to make some sort of New Year's resolution to, you know, eat better, exercise, or all the other things that we think of, but resolve to repent regularly. Work and pray for God to shine light on areas that the light of repentance has yet to reveal. In fact, write them on a 3 by 5 index card. Recruit two or three friends, your wife, whoever, to pray for you, to call you to those things on a weekly basis. Hey, how, how's it going? Not quarterly, not in June and then in December, but weekly, regularly. But let me also say, as we look ahead to 2010, our mission here at Redeemer is to make Jesus' invisible kingdom visible in Winter Haven and the world. Now, I just said, if we're going to preach the kingdom, we have to preach repentance as well. And if we are going to accomplish our mission, we must be a people who make repentance a habit. So let me say, and I can speak for Drew, I know, if you do not see he or I repenting regularly, please call us to repent. Please call us to practice that habit. Because we can't proclaim God's kingdom having come and not call for repentance. That's the bottom line. Now, what's the promise of, God, of, uh, of John? His message is repent because the kingdom has arrived. His warning is if you're going to claim to follow this Messiah, your life better be in keeping with that. It better be producing fruits of repentance. His promise comes at the end. He points us to the one who will come after him. He underscores how mighty and how glorious the Messiah will be, as well as pointing us to the superiority of the Messiah's baptism. So look with me then at uh, verses really 11 to the end of the passage here. A popular saying of the rabbis in the first century uh, was, every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher except the loosing of his sandal. 
As if to say, uh, we'll go pretty low, rabbi or master, we'll go pretty low, but there's a line. And John is once again making such a big deal about Jesus, as if to say, this guy, I can't even take his sandals off. I can't even unloose the thong of his sandals. I can't even carry his sandals. That's how amazing, that's how great, that's how majestic and glorious the one following me will be. John goes on to say that his baptism has prepared the way for Jesus' baptism. It is not enough, John says, to receive his baptism. One has to go further. To be baptized with water was only an outward symbol. It was only a ritual act. It didn't affect real heart change. But John says, the one coming after me, that is Jesus, will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, for the prophets and for the people of Israel, and for us as well, the Holy Spirit and fire represented purification and cleansing. And so John is saying, hear this, John is saying Jesus would come and baptize his people with a radical transformative force. The Spirit himself. The Greek verb he uses literally means to plunge or to drench. But figuratively, it's saying that he's going to flood you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's going to overwhelm you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So while John could plunge someone into the water as a symbol, he says Messiah will flood with a true internal cleansing with the Holy Spirit and fire. So when you put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ, you aren't sprinkled or sprayed with the Holy Spirit. You are flooded with Him. And that's how real change begins to happen. So the bottom line for us, as we bring it all together here, is this. In order to affect true change in us, in order to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire, you have to read the rest of Matthew. You have to read the rest of the Gospel story because Jesus was just, and and in the very next passage, He comes to John to be baptized. But Jesus had to fulfill, He had to complete His mission. John describes the Messiah's work in verses 11 and 12, as that of harvesting, separating the chaff from the wheat with a winnowing fork. The fork was used to throw up the crushed heads of wheat, and the chaff would blow away, and the wheat, the heavier stuff, would fall to the floor. And then they would collect that wheat and obviously store it to eat. Jesus' life was one of perfect obedience, but His life ended with death. He, He's the one, who had ultimately experienced the unquenchable fire of his father's wrath, he went through the ultimate separation so that you and I, who are evil, who are unclean, might be gathered in, so that we might be adopted into God's family. Or to use the the language of the passage, we might be gathered into the barn. Jesus underwent the judgment that John speaks of so that he could earn the right to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. He, he becomes a refiner and a purifier by undergoing the fire himself. And that's an amazing message. That's amazing news. As a result of Jesus coming, uh, if you will look up to 
passage in Isaiah. And I want to finish with this. This voice is crying in the wilderness, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And what will happen when the Lord comes? Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. I, 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 I want to finish by reading once again these words that I read earlier from one old, uh, New Testament writer. He says, throughout the Old Testament, there was a rising expectation of a divine visitation that would do three things. Listen to these three things, because this is what Jesus has come to do. Establish justice, crush oppression, and renew the very universe. And so he calls us to repent. And the question for us this morning is, have we repented? And if we say we have, is our life bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, as John challenges us with in this passage? I want to pray for us, and let's pray that God would make us, would create in us, uh, habitual repentance, can we call it that? Which will make us a people who are humble, who are secure, and who are thoroughly, 100% uh, pursuing the things of God and pursuing holiness and pursuing righteousness and pursuing justice. Let's pray that He would do that in us. Father, we thank You uh, for sending us the one true Messiah. We thank you for creating for us, uh, by the Spirit, new hearts. We thank you for producing in us uh, new lives. But we pray that you would make us people who repent, that who repent regularly, people who, who, who make it a habit. We pray that in this coming week, you would give us opportunities to sit and to think and to ponder the ways in which we haven't repented this last year, the, the areas that we still have yet to submit to your lordship and your kingship. And we pray that you would make that real in our lives. And may you receive much glory from it as a result. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, the call is to repent. Uh, but the good news is, when you do repent, uh, as we just sang, uh, you, you, your, your, your soul is flooded uh, with an amazing love, with an unending grace uh, that's only accomplished because Jesus had to be flooded with the wrath of the Father uh, so that you and I might could experience what we just sang about. Uh, and so as you go, we get a benediction uh, to pronounce over you, over all of us, uh, so that we go with the blessing of God uh, to accomplish his mission in the world uh, and to equip us to repent on a regular basis uh, and make the difference uh, in our lives that we uh, all desire and all need. So, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.